the starting point is as a husband, it actually says to lay down your life um, for your wives as Christ laid down his, gave up his life for the church. And you're like, well, that's, there's not a bigger, higher and lower calling than that, which is laying down my rights for the sake of another and to come underneath to serve. But if we start with submission is mutual and it is an issue of the heart. It's not about position. My delight and my joy, even through the journey of cancer was, I get to love and serve my wife and my kids. And that's my highest calling. God wants us to enjoy life, but not at the exclusion of suffering and pain. And, and it's just, as long as we live on this side of heaven, there will be suffering and pain. Jesus not only warned of it, he promised it. He said, in this world, you'll have lots of trouble. And there is a, a, a union and intimacy of friendship with God that we only get through suffering. The government is our not our hope. No earthly man or woman is our rescuer. Jesus is our answer. And that's why people are continually disappointed because they're putting their hope in a system or a human being. And it's a setup for disappointment. Life is short and I, I just want to finish well. And I don't want to be bitter and I want to forgive. And when I don't understand, I want to trust. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Connection. I can't think of a person who embodies the title of this podcast more than Chris Bennett. Chris has been married to his best friend, Julie, for 21 years and is the proud father of four kids and one adorable golden doodle named Champ. He is passionate about helping others experience a sense of family wherever they are. In addition to being an author, producer, and podcast host, he serves as the senior pastor of Vintage Church in Malibu, which is where I have had the pleasure of spending every Sunday morning with him for the past two months or so. This podcast was really no different than listening to Chris give a sermon. He exemplifies the same integrity, truth, wisdom, and a very healthy dose of humor in this interview as he does every Sunday in Malibu. When I went to edit this podcast, I had about 50 different sound bites I wanted to add to the introduction. So do yourself a favor and listen to this interview in its entirety. You'll understand why Chris and his family are beloved members of our community and, in my opinion, why LA and the whole country needs so many more people like him. Enjoy this conversation with Chris Bennett. I am super curious because we heard a lot about your journey in church, like from how you got to Norman, Oklahoma to here, but I'm a little more curious about like growing up in the church because I did not and growing oh. up with a strong faith and, and kind of having that from the get go, because what I see is a lot of people grow up with it, kind of rebel against it and leave. Oh. Um. So I'm curious about that part of your life growing up with it. And if you ever rebelled against your faith and yeah. wrestled with God. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. Um, and one, I'm just about to be on here with you, my friend. So yeah. fun with your crazy cat lady mug. Um, and I'm using my, I don't know, do you, are you familiar with the Ember, Ember mug? Can we get a sponsorship here, Ember? What's Ember? So it keeps your drink at sipping temperature, the same temperature for up to an hour, hour and a half but the mug never gets hot. So you chose a charging station, you set it on, and then it's the same temperature. It's brilliant. It'll change your life. Who says science isn't amazing? Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. You know we'll that, talk about coffee later. You know who that would not be good for though? I have a friend in school who likes like cold, like not cold coffee, not hot like coffee, but room warm. temperature, like not even warm, just like. Oh, gross. I, 
Should you be like, friends with him? I don't know. It'll, it'll sit there for like three hours. I'm like, can I have a sip of that? He's like, you know, that's been oh. sitting there. I'm like, yeah, forget it. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know that I can be friends with him. Um, I know. Okay. Yeah, so back I, think, to faith. I think, no, yeah. I mean, my background was growing up in, you know, a Christian home. Mom and dad grew up, you know, Christians most of their life. And so I was raised, as they say, in the church. And, and I was part of a, a denomination, the Baptist church, which, you know, it was great. I'm really thankful for. And I think the Baptist church gave me a really um, solid grounding and like a love for the Bible. I was, I always joke, but I was in something in junior high called Bible drill and Bible drill was like a competition to see um, who could, as my child calls me, and I thought I had this on do not disturb. So we're going to make sure this is on. I'm so sorry. And the sound I think may be better without your bud pod. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to, did you say my butt pod? <laughs> Told you. <laughs> I, I told you I'm really tired. I'm, just, I'm not responsible for what comes out of my mouth in this next hour. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> okay. Now, as you know, my kids stopped calling me. I don't do not disturb. Why are they, why is it popping in? All right. Yeah, so I was in Bible drill, and I mean, it's literally a competition of who could, they would say a passage of scripture, you know, you had to have Bible a certain way, you couldn't like cheat, uh, obviously, it's in the Bible, you shouldn't cheat, uh, and then who could find that scripture the quickest, and then memorize scripture, and um, so I was that kid, I was involved, I know, hilarious. Who could find um, it the quickest, that's what I was laughing at. Totally, exactly, now you just, you know, open up an app and swipe, and find it in seconds, but yeah, this was like old school, and um, and I was in like junior high choir. I was the president of my junior high choir. I don't even know what that means. And I was in handbells. You don't even know what handbells are, but I played the handbells, these giant bells. I'd wear white gloves. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, became a Christian at seven and then grew up my whole journey through junior high, and high school in the church. And we had a lot of instability growing up. I have a wonderful mom and dad, but we struggled financially. And I lived in like 30 homes, mm. like bouncing around because we couldn't afford them. And we, yeah, I just had lots of challenges. But the interesting for me is around eighth grade is I had this group of guys, these five guys that we called it like our guys group. And we would meet every Friday night and we were so goofballs, but we loved God and we helped each other. And so when a lot mm. of our friends were doing stupid stuff, we were doing stupid, safe stuff, you know, like at each other's house. And, um, and I think it, it became like a buffer, like a, almost like a, we kind of had this bubble of protection where it's like, we really did love God. And we had a good group of friends that were all trying to go after the same thing. And so that was really formative for me. And looking back, because I've wanted my kids to have that and they haven't had it in the same way, mm. but I think it saved me a lot because I was really involved in my school and was friends kind of with everybody but I spent my time with these guys. And, and, and so to your question, you know, I never had a moment where I walked away or, you know, questioned God. And I, and I don't know why that is. Um, I mean, I have some ideas. I think I saw God come, come through for my family in really unique ways during really challenging times. I mean, I remember miracles that would happen where we didn't know how we we're going to pay the bills. And, uh, as a young kid and, and miracle things would happen where money would show up. And so I think I saw God in a real way. Um, but I would say that the biggest thing that happened with me was probably, you know, I think where a lot of people struggle is when life gets really hard or things happen that, you know, you didn't expect and which is life. God, God, a lot of times gets the blame, you know, and, and if people don't have a real 
I think, authentic relationship with God and not religion and not rules and not church, but an actual personal, intimate relationship with God, I think God gets the blame for a lot of things. And um, man, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand that we've gone through in my life, a lot of challenges, but I, I don't think I've had a moment where I blamed him. I've had questions, but what I've realized is answer my questions and in the bible it talks about you know he gives peace that surpasses understanding he doesn't promise understanding but he but he offers us something in the midst of it so i've got a lot of questions that you know people say well when i get to heaven i'm gonna ask that i'm not sure it'll matter in heaven i'm not sure we'll be that <laughs> that concern but uh yeah that was that was a little bit of my journey growing up yeah it's you touched on two things there that i want to go back to um one is the importance i think for men in this society now, I mean, this is kind of going off faith, but um, I think I mentioned to you, I took this class called manliness and this importance for men to get together. And um, it's amazing that you did that at such a young age. And just like, you know, we always tout women's groups and women need to come together and share experiences. Right. And it's been, it's been such a norm for the past 25 years Um, But I think that's really important for men to have healthy relationships with other men and to hold each other uh, for what I see is like a a healthy form of assertiveness, manliness, not, not aggression, but a certain, like a certain kind of masculinity that we're missing in this culture. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think the word I think about is passivity. You know, I think that Mm. men become very passive and I think when I think about leading my home, like being a spiritual leader of my home, to me, it's not about asserting my authority. Julie and I do things in partnership. We make decisions together. Um, there's times where she defers to me on things, but to me, it's, I need to be the initiator and not be passive, you know? And I grew up in, in, in a home where, I mean, wonderful parents, but my dad was very passive, very emotionally passive. So I can tell that's something I've had to really, almost like a muscle that I've had to develop is like, oh, okay, it, I, I can be laid back. That's my personality, but there's, there's interesting late being laid back and passive. And I have mm-hmm. to take the lead on certain things um, for the sake of my family. But I, you know, I, I think it's interesting when I look back on that guys group, I'm still connected with every one of those guys. And that was, you know, what is that 30 years ago? And every one of those guys is walking with God, but none of them fell away. And I think that's, that's almost, uh, you know, unheard of in these days, you know, to think about a group of guys that, did life together in that way and haven't turned from their faith because it's becoming more common than not that people, as you said at the beginning, grew up in the church. And then I think they've, they've only had a relationship with the church and not a relationship with Jesus. And if your relationship is solely with the church, I would be leaving it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of expand upon that because what I, in my research for this, uh, I did a, a paper on manliness and and marriage and because of the declining rates of marriage. And in my research, I did a lot of reading from, um, oh, let's see if I can find the book. Um, I think it's one of them on the list that I gave you. The Bible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You, when you asked me for book recommendations, I was like, Chris, you should really, you should really read the Bible. are a pastor so just saying um but that idea of god's idea of marriage and family um oh god what is the i will think of it but that as far as the scripture what is there is a role for a, a man right and i think this this one verse 
I'm glad we're talking exactly about scripture because that one verse of, um, that says women submit to your husbands, husbands, you know, I, I can't remember it again. Very tired. That's okay. You're doing great. I'm with you. Um, but you know, maybe you can cite it and give your perspective on, um, you know, the role that men have a role in marriage and women have a role, not to say that they can't go express outside of that role, but in, in a sacred marriage and a sacred partnership under God, what is the purpose of the man, the woman, and then the union together? Yeah. I mean, that passage in, and it's in Ephesians where it just, it's talking about how husbands are to love their wives and how wives are to love their husbands. And it talks a lot more to the men about how to love their wives than it does the women. It talks about the women respect their, their husbands and submit to them. But, but submission is a mutual thing because submission is about the heart. It's not about position. Mm. And I think that's where in society, I mean, whether that's in the business world or, you know, in, in relational dynamics, if, if submission is, becomes about authority, it's really, it can be really misused and abused. And, and I've certainly seen that happen in marriages where women are um, almost being, you know, think I just do what my husband says because that's submission. When really the starting point is as a husband, it actually says to lay down your life um, for your wives as Christ laid down his, gave up his life for the church. And you're like, well, that's, there's not a bigger, higher and lower calling than that, which is laying down my rights for the sake of another and to come underneath to serve. And so for us, like when Julie battled cancer, I started hearing stories, Jen, I couldn't believe this, about husbands that were leaving their wives when they got diagnosed with breast cancer. They were divorcing them because they're like, didn't sign up for that. And I'm like, no, this is exactly what I signed up for. When I said I do 21 years ago, we said sickness and in hell till death do us part. That wasn't a covenant between me and Julie's between me and God. And I think the idea of covenant and commitment is so weak and people are so willing to walk away so easily and cancel so easily. And that has worked its way into marriage relationships. It's worked its way into relationships among believers, you know, and scripture is very clear about as believers, how we should treat each other and work through things. Um, And so I think in terms of for me, leading is serving. It's like the model Jesus gave us. So if we're supposed to love like Jesus, what's well, like, okay, then I lay down my rights. It's not about what I'm entitled to and what I deserve and what I get. And doesn't mean I don't have that aren't legitimate needs that should be met. But if we start with submission is mutual and it is an issue of the heart. It's not about position. Mm. Um, and that really as a leader, our job is to serve and come underneath. What I want is like, Psalm 128 says, you know, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. His wife will be a fruitful vine within the house and his children will be like olive shoots around the table. And I've just been like, all right, if my responsibility first is to love God, to fear him and fear is not to be afraid of its honor, revere and respect. If those things are in right order, then I believe my wife is going to flourish in who she's created to be. And my children are going to grow up in who they're created to be. I'm I'm thankful to have an 18-year-old down to an 11-year-old that I'm beginning to see that, not because I've done it perfectly, but because I think we've kept Jesus at the center of our home. And as we've gone through struggle and trial and conflict, we didn't lose hope. And I maybe this is going off a little bit, but I think what people look for in marriage is a spouse to complete them in a way that only God can. Mm-hmm. Marriage is meant to be a compliment. It's not completion. And it's not Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Like Julie doesn't complete me. She compliments me. She helps me. We, we can fulfill a purpose together better than we could as individuals, but 
she doesn't complete me because only God can do that. And I've seen that happen even in Christian marriages where somebody thought, oh, once I get married, then fill in the blank. Or once this happens, mm -hmm. then I won't be lonely anymore. And it's like, no, that's not the answer. Marriage is a help, but it can become an idol too. And I've seen that in our culture where, I don't know if you felt that, but it's like, oh, it's once you're married and have kids, you've, you've arrived, you know, as a, as a human being in society. Now, maybe that's becoming less and less. It's almost like... <laughs> the love you know the, the value for marriage but I think even within the church there can almost be this thing of marriage is is higher and you're more you know blessed or spiritual if you are married I don't know if that if you've ever felt that I know you're new to all this but uh yeah I mean I don't know if I'm answering your question I, I just think my delight and my joy even through the journey of cancer was I get to love and serve my wife and my kids and that's my highest calling yeah, I think what's what I like. Oh, it's called theology of the body, by the way. Hmm. And it's okay. it's a certain uh, uh, pope that kind of started this an understanding of what the body is, what it's for, sexuality. I mean, it's really beautiful. It, it, it addresses these really what some Christians might think taboo, or I don't know, you know, an old school and and what intimacy is what sex is what it's for I mean it was just so beautiful and it completely changed my perspective on marriage and relationship and how far from that I was and and but in a good way to clarify what I want um, yeah. but that's the name of the book and I think what you touched on is this lack of idea of like that sacrifice yeah. you know in, in the current culture it's this me me my comfort yeah. self this whole talk about self-love and self, 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 you hear it. It's like yeah, me first. Yep, yep. And, and, and that's another thing that Christianity has brought to my life is this notion of like, listen, it's all good in the head. Like, yes, I think I'll be happier. They say serve others. Like if you're depressed, if you're, if you're challenged, if you're feeling mentally challenged or go, go help the homeless, go do that. Like they say that all the time, but we're like, eh, we don't do it. And what I've noticed is from experience, sacrifice is always more fulfilling than anything self-serving. And, and like, we have to have, I'm not very good at boundaries. You know? So I have to, I'm kind of had this discussion a little bit, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of, I have to get better at like, okay, there's sacrifice. And then there's like, just, a, a sense of like lack of worthiness mm, yeah with yeah. that um yeah. but I just think that's the thing that's missing right now is a sense of like it it, it all sounds good in the popular culture of of yeah. social justice and stuff but when push comes to shove there's not a whole lot of sacrifice it's it's really easy to put a sign on your lawn that's right 100 percent um I was, thinking, I was reading we, we were writing this book called finding family and um, part of it was I read this thing about how the the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee come from this or the, or the Jordan I'm getting mixed up but it, one is the Dead Sea you know which is like the Dead Sea um, but they both both water sources they come from the same water source um, but the difference you know the Dead Sea there's no wildlife nothing can grow there there's no animals living in it you know uh, there's mm. no marine life um, even though they come from the same water source, the other is very vibrant, lots of life. And it's because the Dead Sea has no outlet. So the water comes in, but it can't get out. And it's such the picture of how we were designed is if all we do is take in and we have no outlet, we're actually dead. We're not fulfilling purpose. And it's like the creator, God, 
whether you're a Christian or not, designed everybody for the sake of other people. Like we were designed for service. We were designed to give. We were not made just to consume. And so then you take what you're saying, which is the consumer world that we live in, which everything, you say something and next thing you're on Instagram, the, the product you talked about is now, you know, hearing you, seeing like in front of you. And it's all about what do I deserve? How can I get it quicker? How can I get more of it? And so we're battling a culture that that has taught everybody that it is about you as the individual. And then we're part of a, as Christians, a kingdom that says, no, it's actually an upside down kingdom. It's not about you. It's about other people. That's the battle I think we're in a lot of times. And then you work that into marriage or every dynamic. And that's that's what we're seeing play itself out. Yeah. God, there's so many things that you you kind of touched on that can expand into other um branches and, and chats. Uh, one of the things though, I did want to talk to you, uh, is when you said, um, that you, you never really lost your faith, right? Because you said things might not work out the way you wanted to, but you never like lost your faith with God. And I saw, a I posted today something about God's not always fair, but he's always just, Right. And this, these, this idea of our expectation of God, like, oh, everything should again. And it's the self thing. Like, what am I getting from God as opposed to, so this all kind of ties into this question of like this, it seems this, I think I, I heard the phrase, someone brought it up in a class of mine called prosperity gospel, which I had never heard before, like six months yeah. ago, or, um, you know, Rod Dreyer calls it in, in his book, live not by lies, like faith without suffering or Christianity without tears that we're always, God will always provide comfort. So we're always talking about, it seems this day and age, that part of God without the, like, without the sacrifice, without the tears, without the suffering. And it's like, so, so when, what, when something that we don't want, or we see as bad happens, that, that we blame God or people and, or people it's, it's a reason for people to rally against Christianity. Like what kind of God would do this? You know, that, that that's, and then they blame Christians. So yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted to touch on all of that with you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what kind of God would send his beloved son to die and be crucified? You know I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, if we don't understand what love actually looks like, that love is sacrifice. And um, I think, the prosperity gospel thing is like, certainly we can make a case in scripture. God wants us to be blessed. God wants us to prosper. I believe that God wants us to enjoy life, but not at the exclusion of suffering and pain. And, and it's just, as long as we live on this side of heaven, there will be suffering and pain. Jesus not only warned of it, he promised it. He said, in this world, you'll have lots of trouble. You know, he talks about suffering and that it's through suffering and challenges that our faith actually grows. And that's what I think. If you live in a very comfortable life and culture, your faith atrophies because it is a muscle. And if you don't use it, it doesn't grow. And so there's a lot of Christians that, oh, I mean, the world values comfort and stability. And so then you play that into if our goal as a Christian is to live a comfortable, stable, consistent life in the term of material, you know, possessions and have no strife and struggle. One, it's not reality, but then if you have that for too long, you get comfortable and complacent. And you see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where um, it didn't take long for the Israelites when God was taking them out of captivity and slavery for you know 400 years, that they forgot God. Like God delivers them miraculously, provides miraculously food and all the things, and then they forgot. And I think that's our tendency is like, we forget 
until we have need again. And then we remember, oh, wait. And so I think God allows suffering to come in. He allows the brokenness of this world to, we don't get a pass. I was telling somebody the other day, um, we don't get the Disney fast pass in the Christian life. Like we get to the front of the line, we get there before everybody else. God can, he can do whatever he wants. But what I found is there are some unavoidable processes that we have to go through that it's about God developing our character, not just getting us somewhere. So when we talk about prospering, God wants you to be the best at this. It's like, yes. And there's a price you pay to get there. And so I think walking through, you know, part of our story that Julie and I share openly is, you know, she came out of a background of sexual abuse and she uh, had an affair the third year of our marriage. And we went, we were in ministry full time and we went through all the brokenness you can imagine. And I can just say, that's where God met me the most. I didn't get mad at him. It's where he drew the closest because it was, I had nowhere to turn. I didn't know where to go. And he became very real to me. And so then going through the cancer journey where it's like, I couldn't fix my wife. I couldn't heal my wife. She still had to go through hell to get to the place she is now in remission, but we had to go through suffering. And, and there's this passage in, in the, I think it's in Philippians, but it says, it talks about the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And there is a, a, a union and intimacy of friendship with God that we only get through suffering. I don't know how to explain it because it's like, that's where he meets us is in our pain. So I think from my perspective is, yes, I want to see people succeed in their business and in their marriage and their family and be able to live in the tension of life's going to be hard and things are going to come that you didn't expect. And how we view them and navigate them is the make or break of our faith. And I, I read a book years ago by a guy named Robert Clinton, who used to be at Fuller Seminary, and he wrote a book called The Making of a Leader. And he studied over a thousand leaders in the Bible and throughout history. And he was basically trying to see how many of them at the end of their life, quote, finished well, like Paul talks about finishing your race, where it's like, didn't mean they, they were perfect, but somewhere at the end of their day, they loved God and fulfilled what was the sense of their purpose. And only 15% finish well. And that could be because moral failure, they turned away from God or bitterness. I mean, there's lots of reasons why, but one of the things um, was that like most people don't finish well. And those that do, the number one is they kept a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus and they did not allow bitterness to creep in. And so I'm just like, all right, Lord, life is very short. If I get 80 years or 40, I'm 43, life is short. And I, I just want to finish well. And I don't want to be bitter and I want to forgive. And when I don't understand, I want to trust. So. All right, that was long. No, that's great. I, I mean, again, there's more. Um, yeah, I, I, so much of what you said resonated with me. Um, and I do find that that's where God meets us is when we're at our lowest. Since if you, if you don't blame, if you really turn, like for me, I was just that feeling of like being brought to my knees um, because there was nowhere else to go. Yeah. You know? Um, so let's kind of bounce to, because I, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, Julie's journey with cancer. And I also want to, as you know, interview her so she can get more into it, but that came right as you came to LA, correct? We moved here August, 2018 without a home, August 19th. And then she got diagnosed on November 1st with yeah stage two metastatic breast cancer, borderline stage three. I mean, it was kind of that stage two C or something I call it, but yeah. 
And so what prompted you to pack up this successful life that you had in Oklahoma um, where you had founded, right? And established a church and just mm-hmm. moved to crazy town. We did move to crazy town. <laughs> you know what I realized looking back, and I think this is part of faith and I think it's important. God will call us to do something, but he only tells us enough to get us to say yes. And I think if he showed us everything, either we, I don't know that we would say yes. I think there's a, a necessary naivety that's required in, in the life of faith. So we, we knew that, I mean, the long story short is we felt through lots of different ways he had spoken that we were called to move to LA. We were going to do work in media. And then we were going to just in an organic way, try and build a sense of family for people in LA because LA is maybe one of the loneliest, most isolated places in the country, because most everybody's left something or someone to go pursue a dream. So people are very disconnected. And so, you know, how do you make a living doing that? No clue uh, when we came out here, but we just, we knew that we knew that we knew. And I used to always say the church to the church we pastored in Oklahoma, um, you know, if God asks you to do something, say yes before you know how. And that sounds so good in a sermon like soundbite, but when you're actually with a wife and four kids and you have no income and you have no home and you move to a city like LA, you know, faith, faith is not romantic. It's not beautiful. You feel like a crazy person when you're in the middle of it, you know? And I think there's a sense of faith, which is you're putting certainty and uncertainty. You're putting certainty in the unknown. You're like, I, as best I know, think this is God. And you step out and it feels extremely vulnerable as you're walking it in the journey. And I just think when you read the Bible and you read about people like Abraham, it says he went out not knowing where he was going to receive a land that he was promised as an inheritance. And then, you know, God says, you're going to be the father of nations and his wife can't have kids. And he's in there 75 when he gets the word. And then God says, you're going to have more children than the stars in the sky, you know, and, and the real sense of promise. And then all of life comes against you and everything in the natural opposes it. And that's where you decide what you actually believe and who you believe. It's when it gets tested. And so we come out here and then we immediately get tested, Jen. I mean, it's like, we have no home. We move in with this family that hears our story in Burbank. We decide we're moving out November 9th because we were like, we want to move out before we're wanted to move out or before they ask us to move out. We were trying to sell our house in Oklahoma. Julie gets, we decide we're moving out November 9th, gets diagnosed November 1st. And we're like, we have, we have a home in Oklahoma. We have family in Oklahoma. We have a community in Oklahoma. Yet, what do we do with this very strong word that God called us to LA? And I just remember the day she got diagnosed and she said, babe, God knew I had cancer in Oklahoma. He didn't let me find it till we were in California because we wouldn't have come. We're supposed to be here and we're going to walk this thing out. And that's my wife who's about to start chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And so we, November 9th, move out of this house. And for various reasons, our, our home in Oklahoma falls through that we were going to use the money for to, to get a house to rent. And we can't get a home. And we move 20 times over the next six months while she does six rounds of chemo. And a couple Airbnbs, but we started meeting people that would hear our story through our community out here um, that would have a home, you know, or they'd be gone for two weeks. And sometimes it was sharing an air mattress with this, you know, I mean, it was crazy town. Um, but. I can't explain it how there was this sense of like, I remember one day saying, Julie, we're trying to create all this content around home and we don't even have one. And having this sense from God, like he said, because home's not where you live, it's who you live life with. I mean, that that's real home. And because we had each other, we could go through the really hard together. And I think it's the only way we made it. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. I said, there's a song out. I don't know if you heard it, but I'm, I'm going to do something with it, like media wise, but it's, uh, it's like crazy people, 
trust in Jesus. Have you heard that one? Literally, I will send it to you. And that's how I feel sometimes is like, oh, people think I'm crazy. You know, I dropped whatever. I mean, I, not much was, he was, God was closing every door, but I'm, you know, in my late forties going back to grad school. I'm like, what am I doing? But I just knew I had no other option. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, we should look crazy because we're not supposed to look like the world. I mean, it's the whole mm-hmm. essence of being people of followers of Jesus is that the, the Bible calls us aliens and strangers. And we get way too familiar with this world as if it's home. And it's just not, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, it, it, we have to have a view of eternity. And I think, you know, Jesus's prayer, like John 17 it's so powerful because I think a lot of Christians are afraid of the world. So they create these bubbles where they don't want to engage with the world and they only go to Christian bookstores and they have Christian coffee shops and they only see Christian music and they only see Christian movies. And I'm like, well, that's not why we're here. That's what heaven will be for. We'll get to be with a bunch of Christians in heaven, but on earth we are called and intended to live among dark places to bring light and love. And I think, you know, so John 17, Jesus prays and he's like, praying for his followers, us. And he says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I just pray you protect them from the evil one. And so I think the crazy part is, yeah, we should look and talk and have a different hope than the world has. And when the world's full of fear because of pandemics and finances and gas prices, that we should be the most peaceful people because we know who, where our hope comes from. The government is our, not our hope. No, earthly man or woman is our rescuer jesus is our answer and that's why people are continually disappointed because they're putting their hope in a system or a human being and it's a setup for disappointment because there's only one that can can satisfy and there's only one that will redeem and his and his name is jesus and people are looking for him they just don't not everybody knows it yet and that's how it sounds like your story jen you tasted the world and then you were like no this is this isn't it yeah i mean for me it's like i always felt it's so interesting that you use that passage about followers of Jesus are alien and strange or strangers or what was yeah, it? Aliens and strangers. Yeah. Aliens and strangers, because that was my struggle for most of my life. I'd I'd be in this world and be like, these humans are strange people. <laughs> this is really weird. I don't like it here. You know, and at the depths of my depression, I didn't want to be here not because my life was so terrible. I mean, I was doing amazing. I was traveling the world. Like I had people who loved me. It's not like I was, but I couldn't even feel that kind of love. Like I I couldn't have an appreciation for it because I was constantly wanting to escape and be with God, you know, in the name of something good, right? The intent was good. I wanted to be with God. But in the meantime, it took me, like you said, out of this world and into this like weird spiritual bubble where it was almost like, like you said, the Christian who only goes to Christian bookstores and does this and can't be with other people, but it, it wasn't Christianity. It was actually in this weird, vague yeah. LA spiritual. And I could only be around those people. It went, I could only be happy around those people. I think I may have mentioned to you, like one of the, one of the common phrases that said in this new age spirituality is like, we're your chosen family, right? And it purposely disconnects you from any past, any history, any cultural lineage, you know, any, anything like I saw how I began to gradually become disconnected from where I 
came from, who shaped me, which, and I was baptized, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up with religion, but I was baptized in the Greek Orthodox church, but I completely just wanted to disconnect from that, maybe to rebel against my parents, like we all do, but in that rebellion and trying to move away from the pain of my childhood, I kind of became, I, I, I became, um, I hate that word victim, but I, I submitted to that idea of like, we're your chosen family and we're the only real ones who understand you. Again, it was still placing faith in people and not yeah. God. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's funny because when I think about the, the, there's a, in anything, there's a healthy and there's an unhealthy aspect to it. You know, I think, you know, there's this, this passage um, in Psalm, I think it's 68, but it says, you know, God places the lonely in families. And, you know, that doesn't mean being married and having children. Like, there's a sense of family that we were not created to do life together. Like, we are better together. We were designed for each other. And I think that's where our desire has been like, okay, the church biblically is called the family of God. And then the problem with that is it's a really messy family. And I think what our job is, is to point people to say, yeah, messy family, dysfunctional family, perfect father. Like he's wonderful. Most people that have dysfunctional families because they had a really dysfunctional parent or whatever. And in the church is the opposite. Perfect father, dysfunctional children you know what I mean and um and I think what I've seen God do so many times is I think about you know knowing a little bit of your journey there is a sense of though finding a family that's like oh now I belong to something that I oh these are my people like okay I'm an alien now there's just some other aliens that we're like doing life with you know what I mean because we we don't do well alone and I think what COVID has done I've talked to lots of pastors and I've talked to lots of people as you have as well that have their faith got rocked um, through COVID because they got disconnected from community. And I think it just, things get really weird when people get disconnected. It's like how the Satan comes in and attacks people is to isolate. And it can be through whatever it could be through the issues of the day and not agreeing upon a mask or not like the craziest things you will try and find any ways to drive division. And once you can isolate people, he can start to derail people in their faith. And now all of a sudden they're deconstructing everything. And as I heard somebody say, deconstructing your faith isn't bad as long as you're reconstructing something healthy. You know what I mean? So it's like when people are just tearing it all down and now they're just pissed and say the church sucks and God's whatever. Well, that's not helpful. You know, that's, that's not actually beneficial. Well, what I see is there was a destruction of faith and then maybe it was a reconstruction, but a reconstruction of the wrong faith misdirected, meaning faith were like you said earlier, we're now looking to the government to help us, save us, heal us, you name it, everything that God is supposed to do. And, and you touched on this, like we touched on it earlier, this idea of comfort. There's notion that, um, uh, what's the book? What's his name? Ah, de Tocqueville, when he came over to America and he, he wrote this thing, democracy in America, like this huge thing of, of his observations. And he predicted like the more, economic well-off a society is the more comfortable they are right and and then they will look to anyone to maintain that level of comfort and that's what we see in it like you talked earlier about consumerism and 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 safety and keep me safe and we're looking like i don't want any struggle i don't want any sickness i 
you know, safetyism is what we called it in one of my class, this obsession with safetyism. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I mean, you said this, it made me think a minute ago, like if you, I think it's in the book of Judges, but basically, you know, for years, Israel was ruled by judges, not by kings, but then Israel began to cry out and they said, we want to be ruled by a king like the other nations are. We don't want to be ruled by God. We want to be ruled by kings. And so that's when kings began to came in, come in because they wanted a human being that they could look to to rule over them. And then we see the destruction that followed. And I think that's where Ren is like, we it's like we want our cake and eat it too. Like either we're serving God or we're not. Like, I, and I'm not talking in a legalistic way or religious way. I'm just saying, who are we looking to as our ultimate authority? And I believe in submission to authority and the Bible's clear on that, but even that can get misused and abused is ultimately God is our ultimate authority that we look to. And he's the one that we need. If we want to see our country healed and restored, it's not going to come through policies. It's going to come through lordship of Jesus and people turning to him. And I think that's where I'm like, my prayer is God can, or could we get to a place that people are so tired of systems falling short that they would turn back to you. Amen. And I'm, a, I'm you know, I'm going into a career in policy and I say, amen, like that's one of the yeah. first things I realized in our program. This is why I love the program at Pepperdine. The program I'm in is because they're not afraid to say policy is not the ultimate solution, right? There's, there's all these other things that human nature and like, how are we to behave in society together? It's not just policy it's like understanding human nature what your perspective of human nature is if it's teleological or it's secular um and and i believe that secular will only fail us because we're look we're giving power to people that have ultimately not the ultimate authority to to change humans will mess things up every time yeah you know um So lastly, because I know you have to, you have to bounce, but you, uh, we touched on it earlier, um, this, this idea of loneliness. And I know you're writing a book on finding family. And I think you mentioned that a lot of it has to do with um, loneliness. And maybe I can tie this into like the biggest challenge for believers living in LA, because LA seems to be a very lonely place. So maybe why does LA seem that way? Talk about a little loneliness. And then, you know, how as Christians do we live in this town that seems to be like dark? Yeah, no, it's such a good question. I mean, I think LA is, I mean, I kind of said this, but most people that I meet, and I, I mean, most people don't, didn't grow up here. Most people moved here for a reason and and they left something they left a family they left you know maybe a community something to come pursue a dream and then you get the crap beat out of you because there's a lot of people trying to fulfill the dream and and i think a lot of people most people come to la to take from the city rather than to come and bring something to the city they're looking for the right connection and the right opportunity and then when it doesn't come they, they dip out, you know, and I, and I, I don't, I get why people have left in the pan, pandemic. A lot of people have left and they've gone to place where it is less hard. They've gone to, you know, beautiful places that are easier like Nashville and Austin. And, and I, and I understand that. And I think we had those moments where we're like, are we crazy? Like what, why are we here? And at the end of the day, the thing that has kept us here has certainly not been finances and it has certainly not been opportunity. It has been people. And it's God, if you called us here for the people of every Christian, 
like I've, <laughs> I had a guy that's a, a Christian, like media person, whatever that, I don't even know what that means, but he was like, oh, you live in LA. That's a God forsaken place. I'm like, it offended me because I'm like, no, as long as I'm here and Christians are here, it's not a God forsaken place. We're here to bring God to this place. So I think, I think it's, it's lonely for, for some of those reasons. I think, and there's a lot of vanity because we're pursuing things that a lot of people that don't, don't have a lot of worth and value and meaning attach them other than a really cool job and fame and recognition and, and all those things. Um, I think in terms of the, the loneliness thing, uh, about three years ago, two years ago, we were in, actually in the pandemic, pandemic. We had a friend over who's an actress and she's amazing. Her name's Peta. And we were talking about the sense of belonging. She was single at the time. And um, she said, the reality is belonging is not just something that we find. It's something that we bring. And I remember her saying this, and I had to, to kind of stop and we unpacked it. And I believe that like the best thing we can do is invite people into where we are. And, and I think out of insecurity, we're waiting to be invited into something. I think as a Christian, I'm thinking, how do we consistently find ways of inviting people into a sense of belonging right where we are? And, and for us, that's like literally our neighbors and we lived here three years and we're about to move um, to, to more closer where you are, Thousand Oaks area. And a few weeks ago, we were like, you know what, we don't, we know a couple of our neighbors, but we need to know our neighbors. This is embarrassing and, and wrong, actually. I think if we're Christians living and we don't even know who lives by us. So we ended up having a, uh, like a block party and everybody brought food and I didn't know if anybody would show up and our whole street, we had uh, 25 people show up. We had more food than we knew what to do with. And I thought I was going to have to like, kind of facilitate conversation. And I'm telling you for four hours, people that didn't know each other, hadn't even seen each other or lived here for 20 plus years. There was this unbelievable sense of connection and community. And I, I did have them go around and just say, your name, <laughs> where you live, how long you've lived there. And I'm listening to the widow who lost her husband last year and all these stories. Uh -huh. And I think we find each other in each other's stories. And so all, all that's to say, I think we are the answer to help people not feel lonely. And, but I think so many times we're waiting for somebody to do the thing we're called to do. So I think that's what I would be challenging anybody with is start where you are, start with next door, start with your neighbor, start with your coworker. Um, because you can be around people and be really, really lonely. People are looking for a place of belonging. And just lastly, I would say is, you know, pastoring a church now, which I didn't think I was ever going to do again, to be honest. Like I, wow. when I moved out, I did not think I would be pastoring a local church again. But I'm like, if I, God, if you've called me to this, the church has to be the safest, most welcoming place in the world because Jesus is the safest, most welcoming person that ever lived. And if you follow his life, the people he pissed off were the religious people and the people that felt most loved were the outcasts of society. And he had this way of inviting people into proximity with him so that they could be changed by him. But he didn't expect them to change to come to him. People would come to him and by the nature of proximity, they would begin to be transformed. And I think that's what we're called to do as believers is like not judge the world, love the world. Bible is very clear. Jesus didn't come to, to condemn the world, but to save it. And I'm like, our job as Christians is not to go and condemn people that are not Christians and expect them to act like Christians. The irony is that we Christians don't act like Christians, and yet we want non-Christians to act like Christians. Like, what do we expect? It's the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I love what you said about, I mean, I just, that was, that was the experience as I was trying to change myself and make myself 
this perfect person to be loved by God. I think like if I do the right things and I do the right meditations and I go through all the childhood wounds and I fix myself and I heal myself, then the outcome. And what I found is like, no, the outcomes changed when I allowed Jesus, like it was, I can't, it's really hard to put into words. It's like, I had a change of, he changed my heart. And then like, it's not, it wasn't up to me. All I had to do was submit or surrender. I mean, I think that's what the surrender to him. And then like my whole life changed. Wow. Well, I mean, it's in, it's in the Old Testament, it's in Ezekiel, it says he'll give you a, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. I mean, it's literally like you got a heart transplant and mm-hmm. everything. It doesn't mean everything changes in a moment, but you are in a transformation process. And that's what you've experienced. And it's evident, you know, like in your life, I, I can see it just in my time around you, like you're being transformed. Your eyes have been opened. And it's like all of a sudden you're seeing things so differently. It's really, really fun to watch. Oh, thanks. Well, I... I'm so grateful for you in this church and um, it's been amazing having you as our pastor and then soon to be neighbor. I am so excited. You'll be a part of this community because that's what I found. Like when I stopped trying to fit in somewhere, right. Trying to fit into a certain spiritual community and all of my faith is in God. Like the community just came. I've never felt more connected and like, I have more of a community, like you were saying, cause I wrestled with staying in LA as well. And then all of a sudden I, I love it here. Like there's some things I can't stand. <laughs> like I feel the pressure to live here, like financially is a lot, but the sense of community, especially where I'm working now and between school and church is like, right. oh, this is what people talk about. And actually that's the foundation of self-governing. Mm. It really, wow. that's, that's what our democracy it's it was local it was about civic engagement like what you were doing with the block party that's civics that's a lesson in civics and and governance really Mm. taking that kind of leadership and saying i don't know much about your story tell me about it and it actually doesn't matter you know your nitpicky beliefs i'm here to to connect all of us and when you talk face to face human to human you're like we're not so different wow I mean, Jen, I'm thinking about the job that you're doing right now and how, you know, I knew the owner because he had come to our church and you're standing there when I'm talking to him and you guys connect and then you get this job there. And then you go to this homeless outreach and meet this guy that needs a job. You help him get hired at the workplace because of proximity and because Mm -hmm. of an openness. And then even if, you know, people we met yesterday and I was outside of your restaurant and three people come by and all of a sudden there's this that's the fun thing about Malibu is there's a really cool sense of community that we're a part of, you know, and I think that's where we can help each other. And, and, you know, you have a need, look, read the book of Acts and it says there was no needy people among them. It wasn't because the government, and I'm not, I'm not ripping programs and stuff. I'm just saying they were the first responders. The church, like you have a need, Oh, you need food. You need shelter. We, as the church, which is why the church started hospitals and hospice care, anything related to hospitality was started by believers. Universities were started like, let's bring solutions to help society function in a healthy way. And, and, and that has shifted. But if we can get back to like, love your neighbor as yourself and like do really little intentional things. Yeah, I think a lot of change actually can come. And I'd love that you're doing the, the schooling you're doing because you are going to bring transformation from the inside out. And, you know, Jen, your story is like, 
the Apostle Paul, it says in the book of Galatians that many people heard the story because he was the persecutor of the church. He was like the opposite, like, you know, Pharisee of Pharisees, knew the law inside out. Then he gets saved. God didn't change his personality. He just changed the direction he was facing. And all of that passion and zeal now became for God. And it said, and many began to worship God because of it. When they saw the transformation, it was undeniable. And I just think that's what God's going to do through your life is like this podcast but just through your life and the things you're learning that you're going to implement, your voice is going to be so powerful because your story is undeniable. And, and that's the thing with storytelling is people may not agree with you, but they can't deny if it's your story and your experience. So I'm just excited for what's going to come from your life. I mean, I think you're in the last year, the acceleration you've been on, I just can't even imagine the next three to five years mm. world watch out. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I, and I attribute, you know, Christ, all of it to him and, um, and to the transformation he's made in me. Like I, I'm just getting out of the way now because I see how powerful it is when I do that. Um, and I'm grateful for you and the church and the community and your time. I know you've, you're on like so much coming down on you. You're moving, your son's going to a new school. I can't wait to see what happens with that. I'm super excited for him. He's like a star quarterback. Tell us, just brag a little bit. Brag a little bit on Nate. Oh, uh, Nate. I mean, you know, we, he, our kids left everything. We moved here four years ago and had to start over. So they've been at a really great school outside of Burbank. And he started as a freshman this year and he made all American for the NCSAA and um, killed it through 41 touchdowns, rushed for four. I mean, he's just a killer player. And so, and, it's exciting and it's scary because he started this week and all of a sudden nobody know, really cares who he is. There's three other quarterbacks and he's snapping the ball to the other guys because he doesn't know the plays. And I'm like, as a dad, you're like, oh gosh. But as from a character standpoint, I'm like, okay, he's going to have to fight and dig and I love it. And so we'll see how it plays out. This school has the potential to kind of put him on the map in a new way. Mm -hmm. It's not why we did it, but it got opened up a crazy door for him. So um we'll see he, he they this team plays on espn twice this year so hopefully we'll get to see him out there that'll be awesome all right well thank you so much for your time i will see you soon either at, at the coconut or in church and uh all right God bless. Us. all right see ya bye i know i say this about almost every interview i do but this one with chris seriously has to be one of my most favorites i hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed hosting it and stay tuned. I'll be interviewing Chris's wife, Julie, to talk about her journey with cancer and what family means to her. If you like this podcast, please give it a like, send it to a friend, and write a nice comment. I'd so appreciate it. In these divisive times, try not to isolate yourselves. Talk to people who think differently than you do and believe different things. And listen with kindness and compassion. Stay connected with those you love and care about. I'll see you next time.